So I uh, titled this message, Spiritual Hindrances, because there are so many things that kind of can can be called a spiritual hindrance. But in this case, in the Galatians uh, 5 account, it's a the Judaizers, specifically the leader of the Judaizers, which the guy, whoever that guy is, we don't know his name, but we know there was a guy because Paul is calling out a guy. Um, but there's many things that deter a Christian's growing in grace, that you and I are supposed to grow in grace. We are supposed to grow toward the Lord. We're supposed to abide in him. That's where the power is. That's where the grace is. And when we don't, we're kind of fending for ourselves in some way, shape, or form, or we're, we're living outside of grace. And, and in verse 15, we'll get there. Uh, a lot of bad things happen when you hang out there. But sometimes the deterrence in a, in a younger church, in a younger group, in a younger Bible study, whatever it is, sometimes those are self-inflicted. And sometimes they are so deliberate that they are caused by the people that are leading that group or that church or that specific uh, sect, whatever that might be in the first century, um, house church, whatever it is. Um, and, and you guys know, because we've talked about it so many times, that cults will latch on to something. They'll latch on to some little thing someplace. Um, I heard another crazy one this week that I don't even have time to unpack, but some verse in 1 Corinthians that a person was using to justify them being able to have um, like a girlfriend and their wife. I'm like, there's no place in 1 Corinthians that warrants that, but I'm telling you, that's what they said. And I was like, okay, once again, like whoever told this person this, they're wanting to buy into it, but it is insane. The amount of things that cults can pull and they can pull this and they can pull that and they can go, well, see, this word's mistranslated. And then, and then you have a, you know, then you've got a, you've got a religion, you've got a cult, whatever it is. But when you've got a church like this one, um, specifically the Galatian, these few Galatian churches, they're younger churches. Um, obviously there's no 2000 years of church history behind them. And so sometimes a bad teaching or continued bad teaching, heresies that come in, or religion in general, self-effort, if you will, um, can get in, get a foothold, and start deterring the church. Paul says in verse 7, right off the bat, hey, you guys ran well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? There's a lot in this. You, past tense, you ran well. So this is a church that doesn't have a very long history and he's saying, in the past, when I was there, when we ramped this church up, you guys were running the race of faith and you were running it well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? Now, the word hinder, the actual definition in our day, is um, create to create difficulties for someone or something resulting in delay or obstruction. You guys have heard on TV shows, obstruction of justice, that someone blocks detectives from finding something that they need to, to actually pin a case down. And so the person goes, I'm not going to talk to you. And they go, well, we're going to pin you down for obstruction. That's what this is. These guys are obstructionists, these Judaizers, because the New Living Translation says, you've been interfered with. Now, some of you guys like football. Some of you guys don't like football. Next week, we have a little bit of a football game going on. And I don't know if the call pass interference will be called in that game. It could be. It happens a lot of games. 
But a pass interference is where a defender interferes with the person so much that they can tell that that person couldn't catch the ball because of what the defender was doing. He says, you guys have run well. I always wanted to play football, but I was four foot 11 freshman year of high school. I don't even think I was 90 pounds. And so my dad goes, uh, you're going to run cross country. <laughs> Can't really get hurt there, right? So I run cross country. And cross country in the Midwest is different than here um, because there's like forests you run through and, and uh, a lot of times you're in these, these wetlands and stuff where it's a little bit muddy. So you wear these things called um, uh, track spikes or running shoes. And running shoes are like super, super light and they're super thin, but they have spikes only in the front. And we would wear those for track, but we, um, if it was a muddy course, because they would never cancel cross country unless, it was in the, unless there was actual active lightning, you would always do it. And it was oftentimes freezing cold, like 20 to 35 degrees in the morning at these meets, but they didn't care because they're like, you guys are going to be running, so you're fine. I'm like, okay, well, we're in shorts and like a tank top, so like, and it's weird, like the uniforms that we wore were weird. They were a little, they were a little underwhelming, probably a little more clothing would have been nice. Um, but oftentimes when we would run, they'd spread everybody out on this long, long line, and then they'd shoot the little cap gun, and then a few guys would sprint. And everybody else would kind of funnel into this uh, course, which often had cones, and they just funneled us down until we're in these lines. And these these teams would they would know who the good runners were, and they would obstruct you. They would put like an arrow around you, and they would stop you from being able to get around them, because it's kind of like you can just edge people out. And I was so small, I got edged out a, a lot of the time. That is exactly what Paul's saying: is somebody got in your way. I'm not sure who, I'm not sure what this person's name is, but you were running well, and now I'm just telling you point blank, you guys aren't obeying. So, this persuasion does not come from him who calls you. Whatever you guys are believing right now, and whatever path, the, whatever left-hand turn or right-hand turn you guys have made, it's not the way. And I know that because your new way is not from the way. Oftentimes back then they were called the way. Followers of Jesus were called the way. He's saying God calls you guys to freedom. God calls you guys into a relationship with him and you've moved to where now you're impressed with these Judaizers. Now you're impressed with these, these religious zealots. And Paul used to be one of them. So there's nobody that knows this better. He goes, you guys have been persuaded, but it's a false persuasion of self-effort. He says in verse 9, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. Now, we, we know that oftentimes leaven or yeast would have been uh, uh, perceived, kind of like the birds of the air mean evil a lot of times in the, in the scriptures, that, that yeast is something that corrupts. And, and yes, it's a wonderful thing in puffy rolls. We know that. We know that there's nothing wrong with delicious, delicious Texas rolls. But if you do put yeast in, unlike the communion wafers we just had, if you do put yeast in, it gets in the whole thing. Like it's not going to not, it's not going to stand on one half of the roll and you're not going to have a roll like that. It is going to, it's going to leaven the whole lump. So if this, if this little bit of, of heresy or self-effort or Judaism or a circumcision or whatever it is that these guys are teaching you, if it gets into the church, it's going to get throughout the church. He says, but I have confidence in you. 
in the Lord, that you will have no other mind, but he who troubles you shall bear his judgment, whoever he is. And once again, Paul doesn't know the specific guy. He doesn't know. I mean, there's a lot of Judaizers in this, but there's always a leader. Whenever there's a cult, there's always a leader. Whenever there's a, um, a religious hierarchy, like a real hierarchy, there's always a leader. I mean, nobody doesn't know the Pope runs the show in the Catholic Church. Everybody knows that. And then there's bishops and cardinals and all these other guys. But everybody knows that they take their, if they're truly in the Catholic Church of today, that they listen to the Pope. Everybody knows that Joseph Smith was the starter of the LDS Church. Everybody knows that. I believe it was L. Ron Hubbard that started uh, Christian with Dianetics, that char- uh, cr- uh, Christian scientists. There's always a leader that starts these things. There's always somebody who has an angle and who wants to put something on the people for a reason. And that reason is, uh, could be a bunch of different things. But in this case, they wanted this church under their thumb and they wanted them going back to the law and they wanted them to like them. They wanted them to love them. They wanted, he says, they wanted you to revere them. They want you guys to think they're the greatest thing in the world instead of Christ. That's my problem. But whoever this guy is, this person that troubles you, he shall bear his judgment. And he is absolutely going to get his. That God will, in the end, make all things right. He will. I'm trying to expose this guy, and I have confidence that the Lord is going to use my letter to show you guys the error here. God's going to deal with all of these things, and he's going to deal with this guy. Verse 11, And I, brethren, if I still preach circumcision... Why do I still suffer persecution? Then the offense of the cross has ceased. Paul was a guy that you could say, there's sort of a guilty by association thing, that if you know Paul's reputation and you don't know, like when he first converted and he came back, a lot of them, some of these guys were scared. They're like, oh man, what if he's like a spy? Because he could be. Um, Sometimes you guys have heard uh, stories about how Chinese soldiers will come into a church and put guns to people's heads and say, denounce the Lord Jesus, and they won't. And they, and they go, you're my brother. And, and they secretly are Christians, but they've come in to test. They've come in to see if they've found a real, I mean, it's a little scary, and I wouldn't want to be the guy that did that. But you understand, um, I've heard these stories my whole life from, from places where it's illegal to be a Christian. Paul had a little bit of that because of the way he carried himself, because of the way he talked, because of the way... I mean, he ruffled some feathers. You guys know that about Paul. And so he's like, guys, if I, if I was Paul before conversion, why would these guys hate me so much? I'd be telling you to listen to them. These are my, these are, these are my former cohorts. These are the guys that I, form, I formerly hung out with guys like this that would prosecute people that thought that Jesus was enough, that thought that Jesus was God. No, these guys are coming in and they're, they're tricking you and they're telling you that you have to go back and you have to do all of the things of the law. You have to be circumcised. He goes, why am I being persecuted by these people? Why am I being so hated? Why are they trashing me in your church if I am actually preaching the circumcision? No, the offense of the cross has ceased. If indeed I was on their page, the cross would be done. I wouldn't even be preaching the cross to you guys. And I am. Um, I love uh, what Donald Campbell, a great commentator on the book of Galatians says, he says, apparently Paul was still being charged with preaching circumcision. Certainly before his conversion, he's allegedly proclaimed circumcision in the law. 
And it is easy to see how the apostles' attitude could be interpreted as being in favor of circumcision. Paul countered with a simple question, how is it that he was still being persecuted by the Judaizers if he preached the same message that they did? If he were preaching circumcision, the offense or stumbling block of the cross would cease to have existed in his ministry, but it had not. Many people still found the gospel message, which proclaims man's total inability to contribute anything to his salvation, offensive. People do find that offensive. They find it offensive in and out of the church today, believe it or not. The people outside of the church find it offensive because they go, you're asking us to believe something that we don't believe, and you're asking us to be judged by a standard we don't believe. And they, they're offended. They're mad. They're, they cuss you out, whatever, whatever it is. And then sometimes in the church where you have a, a, a church that's all social justice or you have a church that's all service or you have a church that's like everybody's doing 10 things right now um, that's that is uh, in the world of missions or giving or homeless outreach or whatever. And the church is just so busy, but they don't teach the truth. And so everybody just somehow through osmosis, they just figure, well, I guess we're Christians because we go to this church. And I guess we're Christians because we feed, we go to the soup kitchen twice a week, I guess. No, those things are awesome, but those things don't add to your standing. That's the key. God may have you do those things. God may want you to do those things. God may be opening doors for you to do those things, but the one thing he will never do is give you any credit for doing those things. As in, well, Jesus is here, but you did do a lot of soup kitchen, so you're almost there. You and Jesus are on the same level. Never. God doesn't share his glory, and no person can pay their way to heaven. And so the cross is offensive. Why? Because it, it proclaims Jesus and my ability to do nothing to get to Jesus. That's what the cross is about. That's why it's offensive. Thus, the cross marked the end of the law system and rendered circumcision and obedience to the Mosaic law unnecessary. Verse 12, he says, I could wish that those who trouble you would even cut themselves off. Now, that's some strong language for Paul, because what he's really talking about is castration. And it has, it, it's not just castration because he wants to see them dead and mutilated. It's castration because some of the people in this region castrated themselves to the gods. And so he's saying, hey, you know, why stop there? Some of them cut themselves. They were cutters for extra sacrifice. So he goes, hey, why don't you just go a little bit further? You guys are so hardcore telling all these people who are not necessarily even Jewish. You're telling them they have to go be circumcised. You guys are circumcised. Why stop there? Why not go to the level of real, real? Why not become a eunuch for your God, you Judaizers? That's what he's saying to him. There's a little bit of sarcasm in there too. Um, he goes in verse 13, For you, brethren, have been called to liberty. Only do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. So once again, what's the freedom for? What is your freedom in Christ for? What is my freedom in Christ for? Well, it's not to indulge our, our lives to the, the fullest extent of pleasure. It's we're called to freedom in Christ to serve people without any debt. To serve somebody to where we know we're serving. We're not looking at the person we're serving. We're, we're looking at Christ. We're saying, my relationship with Christ is sufficient, so I'm going to serve him, and, I'm, and you're, just, you're just somebody that I'm serving. And, and I love you, but you don't have to say thank you because I'm serving him, because he's my Lord. People through the years have abused many things. 
um, people have said, well, you know, because of this verse, I can do X, Y, and Z. And, you know, there's no, there's no, Paul did say at some point in time, um, I can't remember the reference. Um, he said, um, not everything is, uh, everything's permissible, meaning everything's okay, but not everything is beneficial. He said, everything is permissible, but I will not be mastered by anything. So if you're mass, if, if what you're doing becomes your master, that's clearly sin. Paul's saying, hey, don't be, don't be, don't let anything else be your master except for um, the Lord Christ. So in this case, we do see some people really take some liberties. Um, people have abused a lot of things in this life, but under the control of the actual Holy Spirit, we are made for freedom. We are safe for freedom. With the flesh in control, you and I are out of control. If you just let the flesh go, man, you could be just so, I mean, you'll be messed up fast. Some people may be a little bit faster. But when somebody is completely under the control of God's Holy Spirit, they can handle true freedom. Some people can't handle like lots and lots and lots of freedom. They just get into trouble. Some people shouldn't go certain places because they just, they're like, oh, it's too much of a temptation. There's been many uh, stories about guys like uh, Billy Graham and uh, I think Chuck Swindoll through the years of when they have traveled, they have traveled with a buddy or they've traveled with a group and they've put themselves onto the safer part of town. And, you know, when you fly into Vegas, um, I used to have some family that lived in this Western enclave called Summer something. Summerland or something. I don't know what it was, but it was like, I'm over here in this like suburb area, but it just was so opposite of Vegas. And you're like, yeah, if I had to live in this town, I'd probably choose to live over here because it's away from all the, the bad stuff, like the, the, the stuff that is truly a temptation in this life. And so he's saying, Hey, you guys are made for this. You're called to liberty. You're called to freedom. Don't act. Don't walk around and act like slaves. Don't act like people that are indebted. Don't act like like poor mouthing. Well, we're just the most horrible. We have Jesus as our master, and it's horrible. No, use this freedom as an opportunity to love and serve. Don't use it for your flesh. Don't use it to indulge in the flesh. Um, he says, "For all the law is fulfilled in one word." Even in this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And that goes back to, literally, it goes back to Leviticus. Um, that throughout the Old Testament is weaved this idea of not only loving people, but that sacrifice isn't just words and it's not just a goat on an altar. Sacrifice is like, hey, God, I love you enough that I'm not just going to throw this animal up on the sacrifice and then walk away and then go into the high places and do horrible things. I'm going to do this and I'm really going to, like communion, I'm really going to examine my motive and my heart. And so he's saying, guys, these guys are, they have your worst interest. They are teaching heresy. You once ran well. You're being disobedient right now. But I have confidence that with this letter and with the Lord Christ, that you will go back to your liberty. But you guys know that um, I've been years and years ago when I was a, a junior or high schooler, uh, my church fired our pastor. They didn't really fire him, but they, they did like a congregational vote and he only got like half the vote. So it was kind of like, bye-bye. Um, but a lot of people were mad because they thought that he, 
they thought he was rough or they thought he fired uh, one of the youth pastors for something that wasn't as big of a deal as he thought it was. And I loved the guy. I thought the pastor was amazing. Um, But he got fired and it split the church. And literally, like, what's the truth? Like, the truth is the gospel, right? What's the real truth of this church? Well, the truth is that we think that he was mean, and so we're mad, and so we're going to go. We're going to spread lies and poison and all this stuff, and if we don't get our way, then we're out. And so they started a church. And, And through 30 years, these churches have moved, and they are seven miles away from where they used to be right next door to one another on the exact same state highway. It's hilarious. Every time I go out there uh, in the summer, I was like, oh, there's that one and there's that one. That's hilarious. Um, but it, but they're, they're serving the Lord Christ. They have the same exact theological background. They have the same, at least they did. When I was there, No, I used to go to that church sometimes because some family members of mine went there and I'd go back and forth. And I'm like, same exact type teacher. Same, they teach the exact same thing. So why is it, verse 15, But if you bite and devour one another, beware lest you be consumed by one another. You can tell, and you could tell, people that were in this church that I was just talking about, years later were still super mad about it all. And years later, they hadn't let it go. And years later, they hadn't forgiven. And years later, it was like, wow. Like, does anybody 30 years from now even remember what that was about? It's all new people now. They don't even, some of them don't even know that that used to be that church right next door. But it's this idea of backbiting and devouring one another. And in this church, you've got these people who are like, okay, they're teaching this and we probably should do it because they're a big deal and that guy's in charge and we're scared. And then these other people who are like, ah, it feels wrong. And they, and they just start going after each other. It's like a dog fight. And they start going back after one another. And he's like, guys, I just told you what you have a right to do. What you have a right to do is to love one another. What you have a right to do is this idea of grace, this liberty, this idea of loving and serving one another. And if you bite and devour one another, beware lest you be consumed by one another. It it always reminds me to go back to the idea when Jesus said, if you don't forgive, my father's not going to forgive you. And people have a real hard time with that. And the really, really the reason they have a hard time with it is for hard-heartedness. People want an excuse. They want a way around forgiving over here, but I would like for my, my sins to be forgiven. And it's, it's a sad deal because the Lord's Prayer is what, you know, you can say it in 10 seconds, 15 seconds, and there's, there's all the essentials in there. Why is it that as a Christian, as a, as, a, as a person of liberty, as a person of freedom, why is it that I find such a hard time forgiving people? Because of my flesh. Because of verse 13. Hey, don't use your liberty. You can think that you are enjoying God's forgiveness, and then over here it's just not working out. You're miserable. You're, you're, you're dying on the vine because you're not willing to go, all right, Jesus, I forgive. I'm going to struggle. Jesus didn't say don't struggle. Jesus didn't say you won't struggle. He told his disciples that night, you're all going to stumble tonight, at least. But he goes, if you guys are going to bite and devour one another, beware. It comes back at you, especially in the church. It always does. And when people 
Love one another with the Holy Spirit sourcing that love. It's a wonderful thing to witness. When the opposite is true, like that church split, it was one of the ugliest things I ever saw. And I was 14. I had youth pastors, one youth guy over here, like offering me like, hey, if you come here, I'll give you this. Like, what am I, a baseball player? Like deciding between the Cubs and the Sox? Come on, man. Um, but when the church is stirred up with heresy, and there are unfortunately lots of little, little heresies, there's big ones too, but there's lots of little ones. The hatred and the backbiting will destroy everyone involved. Many churches over the year have become casualties of this. A um, couple things in closing. Paul says in verse 7, you ran well. Who hindered you? Who stopped you? Who got in your way? Who cut you off in that race? Messed up your stride, messed up your gait, messed up your breathing. We used to have like, what, when we were running, like you had like, you had a specific pace and when that got stopped, sometimes you'd have to slam on the brake. Sometimes I'd be sprinting into a cone, like they, they kind of cone you into these, these funnels at the end. Sometimes I'd be coming and this kid would hear me huffing and puffing and he was in front of me and he'd just, he'd just move over and I'd hit him like a hockey player. And I'm like, I, I, like I'm so like tired anyway. I, you lost five seconds, 10 seconds off your best. He's like, who got in your way? You have been persuaded but it does not come from God. When religious leaders are teaching something contrary to the gospel, we need our brothers and sisters to come in and help us, to come alongside us, because we're stuck. We get stuck a lot in this life, or we're deterred. Secondly, Paul says, I have confidence in you. He who began a good work is going to complete it. If it, was a, if it was a real work, because I have confidence that the Lord I'm just going to finish this, that you will have no other mind. Anyone who would call themselves a leader should have no interest in coming into a church but to build up the church, to build up the believers. That should be the only interest if someone ever comes in to teach or comes, comes, into a, uh, comes to a retreat or comes to a uh, whatever, a seminar. The only point for that person should be to sell books, T-shirts, whatever, it should be to build up the believers, period. God will take care of, of, that, of that person. God will sell their merch if, if he wants that merch sold. They should never call any person to anything but grace. That if you listen to somebody and it's not a call to grace, a call to be gracious, a call to forgive, a call to, to abide, a call to come to the Lord, come back to the Lord or stay close to the Lord, then I don't know what that teaching's motive is. I, don't, I have no idea why, why that teaching exists. Friendly fire, lastly, is one of the most devastating things you will find in any Christian community. It's the, it's the, I mean, the worst thing in our military. It's the worst thing in any unit is friendly fire. An enemy that's sitting right next to you, smiling at you, telling you that he's with you. But friendly fire happens a lot. Christians devouring one another. It ruins the witness uh, Paul warns here that that will consume us. Uh, Morris says, The loveless life is a life lived on the level of animals with a concern only for oneself, no matter what the cost to other people. My daughter uh, Ainsley and I were watching uh, National Geographic, The Lions and the Savannah last night. Man, it's tough to watch those little deer get taken down by by eight different types of things. I, I hate it when those wild dogs get one. It's like, I want to just, just poach those wild dogs. 
Um, it just kills so many things. Um, but that's exactly what it is. It's just devouring flesh, it's just flesh devouring flesh when that happens. I want to uh, close with this um, uh, quote uh, from John Corson about Galatians 5.15, or excuse me, yeah, 5.15. He says, what if we really believed that every time we put someone down, made a snide remark, or rolled our eyes in response to someone else, sooner or later, we would be hurt the same to the same degree. Scripture says flat out, straight on, and with great clarity, that if you bite and devour, take heed, you will be consumed by another. Others will talk about you to the degree you talk about others. On the other hand, the more grace-oriented you are, the more loving you'll be. Great reminder. I love that. What if we really believed every time we put someone down, made a snide remark, or rolled our eyes, that we would be heard in the exact same way? It's a great reminder. Let's pray. Lord, uh, as we uh, take uh, or, or make our way over to Potluck, we thank you for provision. We thank you for the food. Uh, we thank you, Lord, for, uh, for giving us so much in this life. We do um, sometimes take those things for granted, um, the access we have to food. Uh, Lord, but we thank you for supplying all of our needs. Uh, God, I do pray that we would be people who are uh, more grace than uh, anything else. And that, that we be truly, truly gracious as we deal with one another. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.